0: him in our region working on a committee together building a friendship with him i've really enjoyed that but i was always hoping is there some opportunity i might have to come and meet all of you and meet the church uh, that mark is uh, leading and caring for and so uh, even if it was just passing through town to be able to worship with you uh, it's a pleasure to meet you and a pleasure to have uh, this morning uh, together with you Um, So appreciate uh, your pastor, uh, had a great time with Todd and Becca last night. They hosted us for dinner, hosted me for dinner at their house and enjoyed uh, hearing good things about all of you, evidences of God's grace in this church and in your lives. it's been a real privilege uh, i don't know if you feel at all a little skittish some guy coming to you from california does that kind of set you on edge a little bit make you a little suspicious if it does you're probably the wiser for it you should be careful about everything that comes out of california if there's anything redeeming i was born and raised in michigan does that help uh at all i know what cold is i've seen snow i've known some hard times some hard weather so maybe that will Uh, soften that edge uh, just a little bit. We're going to take some time together. I'd like to spend some time in Acts chapter 4 with you. And so maybe as you're turning there, I think the text will be up on the screen as, as well. But could I pray? Would you join me in prayer? And let's ask for the Spirit's work in and through the word, the preaching, the hearing, the applying. Father, we do come and we again just come before and ask for your blessing. On the preaching, the Word itself comes filled with spirit and life. And there is your Word, there is a preacher, there are hearers, there is your church gathered, all the right ingredients for your spirit to move in our hearts and to advance your kingdom, to enliven our hearts with the power of your Word. And so strengthen your church today. We trust that you will do that that you will do it for your glory and for the good of your people in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you, Todd, for that introduction and a little bit of the story. We we have, as a church in Pasadena, really came to terms recently with, I really believe we need to grow in the area of sharing Christ with others. And I don't, I would like to talk to you a little bit about that uh, this morning. I'm not making any assumptions about you as a church, uh, but I would assume you're much like us in Pasadena. There are several people in the church that are reaching out heroically and reaching their neighbors and bold for Christ, and it's wonderful. We felt as pastors that this was uh, an area that we wanted to grow in, needed to grow in as a church. And please understand, there's not guys sitting around the table saying, what are we going to do about this congregation? How are we going to get these congregation to talk more about Jesus? No, it was really, we were feeling conviction, and we were feeling challenged as a pastoral team, and and we were challenging each other and praying for each other, and I've been trying to make some changes in my life. Now, I'm a pastor, and I work for the church. I work in the church, and I had to come to terms with the fact that I don't really have a lot of people that don't know the Lord in my life. And so I started making some adjustments in my life to sort of get myself in with friendships and relationships with people outside the church and more opportunities to share the Lord um, with them. And so been excited about that. And we had sort of a str- strategic plan of how we we're going to do that as a church, move in that direction. And one of the components on that was, let's go through the book of Acts together. Let's spend some time together as a church in the book of Acts. So this is one snippet out of that series that I'd like to share with you this morning in Acts chapter, Acts chapter 4. In Acts chapter 4 it introduces a component to evangelism. One of the main components that can in fact keep us from sharing Christ with others. It's that old, wonderful word called persecution. Uh, The opposition to the gospel. Sometimes we imagine and fabricate ideas. Oh, there's gonna be opposition. Well, we don't have to fabricate it. There is opposition, and so we know this. And that can be an element in our hearts that slow us down, stop us from sharing good news about Christ with others. Persecution can do this. Now, not persecution per se, but our response to persecution, how we see it, how we view it, how we react to it, what we think about it. And so that's really what I want to talk to you about from the Scripture this morning. In Acts chapter 4, this chapter helps us see that obeying God and being truthful, even outspoken about who Jesus is, is better and worth more than trying to spare ourselves the trouble. I hope I can convince you of that this morning. You will be happier. You will be more glad in your walk with the Lord when you experience boldness from the Spirit to speak truthfully, honestly about who Jesus is, what he's done to people that don't know him. Do you believe that? That will make you happier. That will be your joy. That will enliven your soul. That will strengthen your walk with the Lord. You will be much better off. We all will be much better off if we grow in this area rather than keeping ourselves safe and secure and avoiding the potential trouble that might come with that. Okay, let's read the chapter. It's it's a long section of verses. So I'm going to read for a while. Follow along with me. This is Acts chapter 4 verses 1 through 31. Here's the story that we're going to take a look at together. Acts chapter 4 verse 1, and as they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead and they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name did you do this? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man by what means this man has been healed, well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father, David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city, there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The title of the message is A Prayer for Boldness, which is what I hope We will all do together uh, at the conclusion that we pray this prayer for boldness. Now, the prayer for boldness comes after a series of components of this incident, this event. And so I want to just break down the outline for you, the events that led to this prayer for boldness. The first point will be the unwanted response, then the necessary answer then a great response, and finally, the needed prayer. So the first point, an unwanted response. In the book of Acts so far, there's a a sort of a sequence of how things are progressing in the kingdom. It's very simple, it goes like this. God comes in power. God does something miraculous. God moves powerfully. That gets followed by someone, in this case, Peter, talking about Jesus, okay? He preaches Christ. So God moves in power. Everybody's astonished. Everybody's attention has been gotten. And then Peter stands up and preaches and says, what you saw, what you're all astonished about, it's all about Jesus. And he preaches Christ. The result of that, in this situation, thousands of people responding to that message and coming into the kingdom. So Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out in the upper room. Miraculous. There's a whole community, a whole city full of people that are observing and seeing this powerful move of God's Spirit, and they are astonished and amazed. Peter stands up and preaches Christ. And thousands are added to the church. Acts chapter 3, a lame man is healed by the power of God. It's miraculous. The power of God is on display, and there's a whole group, thousands of people, that have observed this, and they're astonished, and they're amazed at what they see. Again, Peter stands up and preaches Christ. Why did this happen? It's all about Jesus. It's still all about Jesus, and so he preaches Christ, and people are amazed at what they see. They hear the message of Christ, and again, thousands respond and are added to the church, added to God's kingdom. God's power makes the soul ready to hear, God's people speak what is true about Jesus, and the listeners respond, many of them with repentance and faith. But not all, but not all. In Acts chapter two, some responded by mocking. Now, in Acts chapter four, we get another kind of response, which we're gonna focus on. Some were greatly annoyed. That's the worst. That's the worst kind of response you can get when you tell somebody about Jesus. They might be indifferent, they might not like it, they might disagree, but when you find the one that's greatly annoyed, that's the problem. And that's what we're looking at. This is the worst. Uh, Most of us, maybe there's an exception in the room, maybe one or two, but most of us don't like conflict. If you're the exception, you know who you are, and so does everybody else. (laughs) Most of us really would like to avoid conflict. In fact, let's, let's, well, if we could be honest with each other and with ourselves, we'd probably be a little surprised to actually say out loud the things we do to avoid conflict. Maybe your next in-depth discussion at your community group, care group, you could all share. What, what is it actually that you do to avoid conflict? And if we were to be honest, we might all be just a little bit embarrassed to admit to what great lengths we are willing to go to make sure we don't ruffle anybody's feathers and to make sure we don't greatly annoy anybody because that's the worst. Most of us can handle a little indifference. Most of us can handle a misunderstanding, some disagreement, but when someone is greatly annoyed, the temperature goes up and the situation feels threatening. And this these are the moments we are most tempted to go silent, to close our mouth, to back down, to back away. In our account, we've got the high priest, captain of the temple, and the Sadducees coming together. They are all together greatly annoyed at what is going on. Now the priest, the captain of the temple, these are like the temple police. There's the mall cops, you know, keeping an eye on everything, making sure everything's running. And we have the Sadducees. They're there. These are the uh, aristocrats. These are the wealthy. Uh, these are the guys that kind of own the town. These are the major influencers. They've got the money. They own the businesses. They carry a major influence in the situation here. And what's happening is with this miracle, with the power of God comes, and this lame man is healed, and the whole crowd is is up up in arms about this, amazed and astonished, and everybody's attention is going towards this. Now now we see the guys that are supposed to be the influencers are feeling threatened. All the persuasion is shifting somewhere else. And they're feeling a bit out of control of the situation. They're no longer the ones, in a sense, calling the shots and controlling the crowd and everything. And so they become greatly annoyed. And so they, they press in. And they were greatly annoyed by what they said about Jesus. Notice, it wasn't so much a problem that they healed somebody. You know, doing a good work... Uh, you can get by just fine. Just do nice things for people. Do good things for people. And you won't annoy too many people. That's, that's a fairly safe ground. And, and don't get me wrong. We, you and I, should be doing good works. Good things for people. Helping the poor. Clothing the naked. Taking care of the orphan and the widow. I mean, these, these are the things we're called to do. This should be part of our nature as followers of Christ. But only doing that and avoiding the message, only the power of God and not the preaching of Christ after the power of God is on display is a problem as well. We currently live in, you're going to know as soon as I say the phrase, cancel culture. You know what that's about, cancel culture. Nobody wants to be canceled. And uh, with our latest season of technology and the changes in communication, cancel culture has reached hyperdrive and it is just so prevalent in our world and in our lives. Well, we know from Acts chapter 4 it's really not a new thing, there's nothing new under the sun. Because it's exactly what was happening here. I want you to stop saying what you're saying about Jesus. Stop saying that. Don't use that name. Stop saying he was raised from the dead. Stop saying he's the only way you can be saved, okay? We cancel you. (laughs) You may not say that. Those words are no longer allowed. A guy named Joe Dallas wrote a book not too long ago called Christians in a Cancel Culture, and he identifies really what he says is one of the last of the church's major temptations, the temptation to minimize the importance of doctrines that are critical to the faith, but offensive to the world. We can try to avoid being canceled by focusing on good works, work on the God's power part, leave the proclaiming part alone. We can also seek to avoid being canceled by rephrasing, adjusting, watering down what we proclaim. We'll get to more of this in the second point. But just to wrap up the first point the unwanted response we annoy people that's the unwanted response but verse 4 luke is being uh, very purposeful uh before he moves on with more detail about the story i just want you to know lots of people responded to the gospel a couple thousand were added okay brought the number of men to 5,000. Okay, we don't really know the detail. Was it 3,000 from the Acts chapter 2 plus 2 equals 5? Plus there's women and children. There's there's a lot of the, the mathematics, the stats here that are not necessarily clear, but the point is absolutely clear. When there's opposition to the gospel, the gospel is unfazed. No change, still results we might even come to discover that it actually accentuates the gospel and helps it in some ways. But this is the point that we've got to grasp, and needs to be a conviction in your heart, in my heart, that when people are annoyed with who Jesus is, or what our message about Jesus is, it does not stop the gospel from being effective. Still, it bears fruit still there are people who will hear this message of who jesus is and the spirit will move and their hearts will be opened wide and they will say yes and there will be repentance and there will be faith it will happen do you believe that do you know that really Do you truly, this needs to be a conviction in our heart. We have to have this kind of confidence in the work of God's spirit, in God's kingdom, and what he's doing, and the purposes of God, and why you are here, and why you're here in Aurora, Colorado, and why you're part of this church. It is all part, needs to be built in, and you must hold this conviction and realize this truth and have it in your soul. This gospel is unstoppable. It will, in fact, bear fruit. Second point, the necessary answer. Okay, now we've got Peter and John are in a sense on trial. They're standing before this panel of religious leaders that are pressing in and they're asking this question, by what power or by what name did you do this? Peter has to answer. He's got to give a response. And there's a necessary answer, but Peter had some options before him. There's a few ways he could have gone in this moment. He could have pled a safe ignorance. Well, I don't know. We just prayed for this guy, and all of a sudden he's just up and jumping and running around. I don't know how it happened. All we did was just say, in Jesus' name, be healed, and, and it's all done. And so, don't ask me any more questions. He's healed. He could have gone all pluralistic on them. What difference does it make how we did it? There's many ways to God. All we just wanted are better lives. He's healed. Isn't that enough? Isn't that all that really matters? This man is better off. Can't we just leave it at that? He could have gone with a soft gospel. Take the truth of the gospel, but take the truth of the gospel that offends and pull it out. Well, we just wanted everyone to know how much God loves them and how He wants to make everything right in your life. Well, now that's interesting, because that's kind of close, isn't it? That's not too bad. That's pretty close. God does love you and really does desire your happiness. He really has your most joyful most fruitful, most productive, happiest life in his heart. He is working towards that end. So God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's, that's not too bad. That's not too bad. But I'm not aware of anybody who's heard God loves you, has a wonderful plan for your life, and they repent and believe. So all the offense of the gospel has been Got it out. And it certainly is comforting, I would suppose, all of you have said, God really loves you. He really does love you. And He really does have wonderful plans in mind for you. Would love to see you prosper and fruitful and happy and glorious. So that's, that's comforting. But it's not the message that saves. And so Peter could have gone a little soft gospel to get himself out of a jam. But instead, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, says, let it be known. Oh, let it be known. It was by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth that this man stands before you well. Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, okay? He's getting himself in all kinds of trouble here. He really could have avoided quite a bit of trouble in this moment, but he dives right into it. Jesus, you crucified him. He's the one you rejected. He's the stone that you, you are the builders, you're the builders, and you rejected him, but God made him the chief cornerstone that Peter is experiencing the very thing that Jesus predicted and said would happen back in Luke chapter 12. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Peter begins to say it. And then he closes with this statement that is sure to get you canceled. Jesus is the only way to be saved. There is no other name by which men can be saved but this name of Jesus. If you have any inkling to be canceled, say that. Post that, write that, announce that. Now Peter must be having a little bit of deja vu going on here because it wasn't that long ago could be as early as two months ago, he was watching another trial. Do you remember when he was down below around the fire pit and he was observing Jesus on trial, maybe with some of these same leaders? And he's watching Jesus be in the very same situation that he is in currently in Acts chapter 4. He learned a hard lesson as he watched Jesus pass the test because. If you remember, he was having a little trial of his own down by the fire. A test that he failed miserably that was accentuated. Excuse me, ladies, you need to take this in the best possible light. A little girl destroyed him. Okay, ladies, you godly women of faith are a a powerful force in the church. Please know that. Please hear that. The church would not be the church without godly women. And it is just an amazing, powerful force that you ladies bring uh, into God's church. So you're going to have to bear up on a, a little bit of stereotype that Luke was using when he tells this story about this little girl that takes Peter to task. So now we've got a grown man being accused by a little girl and he cowers. And Luke is making the point, while Peter is failing his trial down by the fire, Jesus is passing his trial up above. See, Peter knew how to play along to get along, because that's what he was trying to do. But in that moment, he and Jesus made eye contact. At that moment, Peter had his, I I don't think I'm exaggerating, he had his most miserable moment in his life right there. Okay, he missed his opportunity. He caved, he saw something about himself and he needed to see this. He just got done bragging about he was the best disciple of all 12. He was at the top of the chain and now a little girl takes him to task and he failed and he had to see something about himself. All while he's watching Jesus. Show him something about who Jesus is. So now Peter is himself in that situation. And he had learned. And God had done something. And now full of the Holy Spirit he says, let it be known. Let it be known. This is about Jesus. He gave the necessary answer which led to point number three, the great result. The great result. In the context of persecution, several things became undeniable. These men were filled with boldness. That's the assessment of what was going on here. Wow, these guys are filled with boldness. And it showed when they were persecuted. They were unschooled and ordinary. Okay, They didn't have all the things that are supposed to make you bold and confident. Okay, I don't doubt in this room some of you are well-schooled. And some of you are probably extraordinary. For the rest of us who have less schooling and are a bit more common and a little more ordinary, it's just a short list of of modest gifts, this verse gives me lots of comfort. And whether you're well-schooled and extraordinary or not, Or you're like the rest of us, a little bit less than that. The point is the same. Look at what can happen, whether you're schooled or unschooled, extraordinary or common or ordinary, with the spirit of God in you. See what God can do. What a change. It was undeniable. These guys did not have good resumes. They were not impressive for them to be standing in front of the religious leaders and the Sadducees of the day. And yet they were so bold, and it was undeniable, and it was impressive. What what is it about these men that makes them so bold? Well, next it says another undeniable fact. The result here was that they could see that these men had been with Jesus were able to make connections with these two guys, Peter and John, standing up defending, exclaiming Jesus, proclaiming Jesus and something about them caused the observers to say these men, I can tell these men have been with Jesus. Now, honestly, I can't think of a better compliment to pay a Christian. If I could say to you, I see Christ in you I can tell you've been with Jesus. This has got to be the best compliment that you could pay another Christian. And this is what was happening. They were able to make connections between these men and their teacher. They had become like their master. It's clear to me these guys have been hanging around with Jesus a lot. Now, they could have caved, they could have failed this test. They could have cowered. They could have not proclaimed Christ. And something else would have been evident. Well, I can see that these guys have been spending hours on social media every day. I could see that these guys have been listening to progressive Christians that have forsaken sound doctrine and been listening to a lot of that. I can tell by the way they respond. I can tell these guys have been bench. Binge- binge- watching netflix every night of the week i can tell i can tell by the way they responded in this situation i can tell that these guys are consumed with their careers their hobbies their whatever see because when the pressure's on something will become clear either you've been with jesus or you've not and the pressure will show where you've been And what comes out with these guys is that they've been with Jesus, and that was clear. The third thing that was undeniable was that the lame man was healed. He was standing there, no denying. The miracle had taken place. This man's life was forever changed. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew him. Everybody knew his previous condition. Everybody could see him now, and they couldn't deny it. They were stuck. They were stuck. Facts are stubborn things. And friends, this is part of our missional task, our mission as a church to make Christ known. Something needs to be undeniable. Your changed life needs to be an undeniable fact. When you go tell somebody about who Jesus is, when you're bold, full of the Spirit, willing to tell somebody about who Jesus is and what he's done and all the implications of that. What must be undeniable is your changed life. What hopefully will be recognizable is that you've been with Jesus. What will hopefully be surprising to your listeners is like, well, you're kind of ordinary, but you're quite bold. The fourth thing that was undeniable, their devotion to obey the Lord was proven. All these things came in a context of persecution. They were told to stop preaching Christ. And no doubt, friends, this command had some teeth to it. They were risking something by disobeying this command. These were people in authority. They had power. They had influence. Don't do what they say. You will probably experience some consequences. These guys were not just tossing out idle words. This was a threat that had some teeth. Nevertheless, their response was heroic. You guys can decide what you want. For us, we cannot but speak of what we've seen and what we've heard. We must obey God rather than men. Another conviction that needs to run deep in the soul of the church, in every individual in the church. Friends, a devotion to obey God is, is really the real evidence of saving faith. It's the real proof that genuine faith is there. That's James point. You can say what you believe to be true, but you can really know what you believe to be true by what you obey. We we live our lives out of what we truly believe, and sometimes too often, unfortunately for many of us, sometimes we say we believe one thing. But what we obey can communicate something different. And for these guys, they're proclaiming Christ. And the proof is we must obey him, regardless of the cost. These things were undeniable. All right, let's close with the last point, a needed prayer. They make it through the power of God on display, Peter proclaims Christ They make it clear, the full gospel in all its glory and all its offense, Christ whom you crucified, the Savior that you need, the only Savior that is available, the only mediator between God and man, the one you must come to, surrender to, submit to, place your faith into. They pass, they do it. They return to the congregation and they report what had happened, and the people of God pray. Oh, sovereign Lord. They went directly to the source of help, the sovereign Lord. They realized they had a need. They took their need to the Lord. Okay, church, we need to be bold. We are called to, and we will be happier if we tell people the truth about Jesus, who he is, what he's done, your need for him, my need for him, we need to talk plainly and boldly, but this is scary. And so the church prays, Lord, sovereign Lord, Church, you know, our need is always our opportunity to commune with God. Whatever your need is, your need is your opportunity to connect with God, to commune with God, to receive from God. So whatever your need might be, and all of our need, I trust to some extent, is that we need spirit-empowered boldness. And so we bring that need to the Lord and we seek the Lord and say, God, come help us. And they prayed the scriptures. This is a good way, if you really want answered prayers, it's a good idea to pray according to the scripture. If you're just making up all your own stuff, uh, you're just kind of running the risk. You, you might not get what you're asking for, but you open up your Bible and start praying according to God's will and what God has promised, and what God has said He will perform. These are wonderful, guaranteed prayers. So if you want to up your percentages of your prayer life for success, spend your time in your Bible, and when you're with the Lord, use your Bible. And they say, why do the Gentiles rage? They're going back to the Psalms. And Just note, friends, church, we're not the ones called to rage. We're the witnesses. We testify to who Christ is. We're bold. We're straightforward. We're loving, at times winsome, at times strong. But we're not the ones called to be in a rage. It's the Gentiles, meaning the unbelievers, the ones who don't know the Lord. They're stuck in a rage. They're greatly annoyed at the message. But we're at peace. We're called to bear witness. And so they pray, Lord, grant us to speak your word with boldness. What a beautiful request. What a request that ought to be in all of our hearts often. Oh, Lord, grant us to speak your word with boldness. They prayed this prayer because now they understood that opposition is not about us. Why do you and I avoid conflict? Because we're all about us. Because I don't want to feel the discomfort of being in that situation because it's all about me. And I'm very aware of how I feel, how you make me feel, how I feel in this situation or that situation. But now the church is coming to realize Oh, this whole persecution thing and our being witnesses, this is really not primarily about us. Jesus, in John 15, explains this to us and to his old disciples, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. Here's what's going on. If, if you were in part with the world, if you were in cahoots with the world, if you were on the side of the, of the ungodly opposing God, well, then they would love you as their own. It's because you're not of the world. And that is because I chose you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Now, do you see how that reframes everything in a situation like this? Oh, they're greatly annoyed, but it's really not about me. The annoyance really isn't personal with me. Something else is going on. Now, you see, realizing that can sort of set you free. Because instead of just trying to save our skin in that situation, we realize more accurately what's actually going on here. The cancel culture cannot cancel God's word. Worship team, you can come on up. We're about finished here. Friends, God's kingdom is unstoppable. The word of God is unstoppable. It's spirit, it's life, it's filled with power. And you and I, church, this church, you will be at your best, at your happiest when you are filled with the spirit and bold to tell people what is true and right about who Jesus is. I know that can be a big hurdle. I'm trying to push you over to believe that that's, it is really true. You could talk with somebody who's greatly annoyed, and you could be your happiest, your most joyful, your most peaceful in the Lord, even in those moments, because you're confident that even with persecution, the Word of God will bear its fruit. Also know this, when we avoid it, like Peter did around the fire, we'll be at our worst. We'll be most miserable, so dissatisfied, so lacking peace. Church, let's go for the joy. Let's go for that glory. It's right there. It's not as bad as you think fact, the more we understand the truth of God's word, of who Jesus is, what he's done, this is going to be a blast. Let's go reach some people with the gospel, the real gospel. And when they start responding, oh, that's going to be a glorious, joyful moment. Let's pray for it. Father, the prayer of Acts chapter 4 I hope is on the heart of every listener in this room. Grant us to speak your word with boldness and know the joy of this early church by seeing thousands come into your kingdom. Let it be, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.